0: And welcome to Make My Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Jaina Hill. And I'm Elias Rosner. And this week, we're giving each other makeovers and staying up late to eat sugary
1: cereal because we are talking slumber party. Excel,
0: C, Or. Yes, I am so excited. I forgot what month we were recording this multiple times and read the single issue that we're talking about today a bunch of times in the last couple of months. <laughs> Uh, But that's okay. I've read this issue a lot of times. It's I mean, who can say no to a good slumber party? (laughs) Yeah, who could say no to a good slumber party? We are talking today about a single issue for our book club. The issue is New Mutants number 21, which I actually had a bear of time finding on Marvel Unlimited because um, a demon bear, that is. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Because Marvel kept on trying to give me... Yeah, Marvel Unlimited's so bad, and every, they kept on giving me every issue they've ever done called New Mutants number 21 from all these different volumes, except for the one I was looking for, of course. This is the one titled Slumber Party, which came out in July of 1984. And it was written by Chris Claremont, illustrated by Bill Sienkiewicz, colored by Glynis Wien, uh, lettered by Tom Orszakowski and Lois Buhelis, and edited by Anne Nesenti. And... I don't normally—I uh, guess I commonly—editors don't get included in the credits block, but uh, it being Anne Nesenti, I wanted to talk about her for a minute today. Okay. I was
1: wondering why why that was in the notes. I'm like, wow, we don't usually talk about the editors.
0: Yeah, well, and we'll get there, but before we uh, we talk about the specifics of the issue, Elias, I wanted to know, did you get invited to a lot of slumber parties as a kid? Not really—so, yes and no, because—
1: I didn't get invited to very many, but interestingly enough, I think when someone says slumber party, Mm -hmm. it's uh, slumber party versus sleepover has for some reason, gendered connotations in my head. Like when someone says slumber party, I often think a bunch of girls sitting around a bed talking about boys doing makeup and hitting each other with <laughs> pillows because anytime you see a movie or anything and it this slumber party, that's what it is. But if you're and going for a sleepover, right it's now. usually either mixed company or mostly guys and they sit around and they watch a movie. Um, and I don't know why this is like the image in my head. Like if the Stranger Things kids got together, they would be going over for a sleepover and not a slumber party.
0: Wow. You know, I never thought of it that way, but I'm trying to remember. And I think when I was a kid, I, yeah, we, I think we did say sleepover and not slumber party.
1: It's also possible that like slumber party was a very eighties term and it just lost a lot of meaning or got codified in a very
0: specific way. Uh, and then it got, you know, I'm trying to changed. picture. Yeah. I'm trying to picture the type of person I can picture saying slumber party. And I feel like they might've voted for Reagan. <laughs> Not that I think Chris Claremont voted for Reagan. He's a, Yeah, he was born in the U.S. Yeah, he grew up in London. Mm. But he was American-born. Um, but I guess he he obviously said slumber party in 1984. I um, When I was growing up, I lived in northern Westchester, and a bunch of my best friends lived in New York City and over in New Jersey. So we were constantly uh, taking buses and sleeping in each other's parents' basements.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so uh, the... A bunch of the uh, dynamics in this issue uh, still rang pretty true to me as a 90s kid, I guess.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm very curious. Obviously, in the last two years or so... That... Oi, sorry. There haven't been very many of those.
0: Right. Least, oh, my God. Not. Yeah, this is getting more old-timey by the second now that we're in, like, a post-seeing-people-face-to-face future. Yeah. Gosh. Uh I would love to see Chris Claremont come back to X-Men. Oh, wait, he is, and it's going to be wacky. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, when that
1: news broke, is it going to be good? Who knows?
0: It's weird, because he's writing about Gambit, and while he created Gambit, most of the characterization happened after he left. So is he going (laughs) to do, like, a weird, like, this is what I would have done if nobody got my way? As he is (laughs) wont to do sometimes? I guess we'll see. I love Chris Claremont. He's a sweetie. Um... (laughs) Anyway, uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, I found a lot of this relatable, but I also found a lot of this laughable. I kept a running list in this issue of, um, the pop culture references they make.
1: Oh, all of those run over my head. I don't think I caught a single one. They said something,
0: and I'm like, uh, okay, sure. Ah. <laughs> um, well, uh, I, I guess I, I can save them for as we're going through it specifically. Um, but I had a lot of opinions on the way they were talking about 80s baseball. And, um, <sighs> Huh. And Sam's taste in uh in like a cool sci-fi was real uh well we will get there. They're um there. So I before we before we uh, get into the issue in the specifics, I wanted to I've read this a bunch of times. This was your first time reading it, right? Correct. Yeah. And um we're both very into contemporary X-Men comics, but uh what how much older X-Men have you read? How much Claremont X-Men have you read? barely anything
1: like maybe I've read one or two issues as they come up or like the when they do a special anniversary thing and they reprint it I've read it but nothing systemic and nothing you know in depth
0: you uh not that Claremont wrote this one uh although he edited the original but you read that like jam issue they did where every page was a different artist and they did giant size x-men number one yeah yeah
1: yeah I thought that, that was pretty fun and cool. That was pretty fun.
0: Um, I like it when they do those. Those are those are neat. Um, well, one of the things. So, if you get into comics history, Claremont's the guy who, um, if even if he's not the one who like uh, starts the Bronze Age, he's like the the signature Bronze Age comic writer, mm-hmm. right? And his style is like uh, the Bronze Age of like the mid seventies until at least the mid eighties, if not a little beyond. Mm -hmm. and that means like a lot of overwriting because that still hadn't left comics yet where like Mm. when stan lee did it it's like a lot of caption boxes uh where he's like narrating the action that is also being shown in the uh in the art so spider-man will be like my web missed uh it went right over his head and it's just like i can't believe it yeah, and it's just like you could just say, "I can't believe it." We can see that your web missed a right, right over whatever his head because Steve Ditko drew it. He's a good artist.
1: No, you can't. You can't trust that artist, or you know the printing
0: press. Yeah, but um, Claremont overwrites in a completely different way because Claremont overwrites like a like a dime novel. He has all this like really purple narration. He um, does,
1: and some of some of the panels, you'll you'll just be like, "Wow, that is a hell of a lot of dialogue for one balloon."
0: Yeah, and it reads more like oh, it because there is so much more prose. It reads more like a novel sometimes. Yeah, for um, sure. And it's that reason why I often have trouble recommending these comics to people. How did it strike you?
1: I mean, I went into it knowing, not knowing how Claremont wrote, but like as I read it, I am like, okay, I am feeling, I am feeling the vibes of the era. I'm feeling it. Uh, Yeah.
0: You you told me before we went on the air that you're also reading, um, you started with the 80s Hellblazer stuff, or the early 90s Hellblazer stuff.
1: Um, Yeah, I I did start with, I have been almost getting to the end of that.
0: And I would say that uh, Hellblazer is like, uh, very much continues on in in that sort of like, overriding Claremont tradition for a lot of it.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Especially near the beginning. Like the, the early, early Jamie Delano stuff. I was like, wow, you can feel the era this was published in. Uh, yeah. The post-Alan Moore trying to be similar. Because, I mean, it's, a, it's an Alan Moore character. But this, this is different uh, from that in a lot of ways. At least Slumber Party the issue. Because while there was narration, I think there was a lot of dialogue and thought balloons. Thought balloons. That's where we got most of the narration here.
0: Yeah, and I and I I'm counting thought balloons. I think because um, they um, that's kind of fallen out of favor. Uh, I I mean the the Claremontian narrator is like a laugh at famously uh, fun over the top thing, where uh, <laughs> where like a, the Claremont caption boxes often will address characters by name and will get like really aggro with them. <laughs> It'll just be like, what did you think, Roberto da Costa, that dreams came true in this cold, dark world? Like that's what the Claremont's narrator sounds like. Yeah. And yeah, um, it really and, is. And he shut up sometimes in this issue, but he was uh, there he's not
1: absent. No, he's he, I'm trying to find one good example of it. but I mean the characters reprimand themselves a whole bunch of times. Yeah, um, there Which was is a, very fun.
0: There, there's the overwrought part where Magneto is blocking the meteor.
1: Oh my God, right? Oh my God, I forgot that was in this issue. <laughs> I read this issue and I forgot Magneto just shows up and is like, "Yeah, I'm gonna protect my home from this weird asteroid," and then he's messed up. Anyway, we'll get to that later. We'll get to that later, Claremont. Uh, very nicely overwrought, but kind of fun, a lot of fun. Ah, uh, I don't know. It was weird. It was weird reading this f- without having read anything around it because it worked really well. But I'm also like, who the hell are half of these characters?
0: Well, so, Um, and we'll talk about that, but uh, one crazy thing is, yeah, there's a bunch of, like, random tertiary characters that nobody has ever heard of. Because if we go top to bottom, I'm sure you've at least heard of all the New Mutants, but, like, their friends from down the street uh, play a pretty big role in this issue.
1: Yeah, and I'm just like, who are these? I couldn't keep them straight half the time i'm like who's this person who's this who
0: hates who where i need the hot goss but we're not getting the hot goss right and the issue kind of conveys the feeling of hot goss better than like being included in the specifics of a yeah exactly um we also need to talk at length about uh bill sinkevich who here is like obviously a revelation right comics there no there no one had ever seen anything like this in comics before sinkevich was this his first issue? No, so I checked. This isn't his first issue. I don't exactly remember which one was his very first issue. Um but this mm-hmm. is the this is where he starts it gets really crazy. Like before this you, he's still kind of playing in, within the lines. Mhm. And this is where um I mean so like we got so how do you describe a how would you describe Sinkevich's art in this issue? I would describe it as
1: messy is the wrong word. But it's scratchy. Yeah, it, it's like, instead of trying to clean up panels and to make everything very clear, to make it easy to animate is kind of how I think about it. Like, this would be a nightmare to, to for animators. Whereas a lot of older comics, you could theoretically see this as just like a, a slightly less shiny storyboard for an animation cell. This is taking advantage of it being comics, even though I don't think they're, you know, equivalents in the same way, but you can see that, like, you can see the lines, essentially, Uh, and that's part of the aesthetic and that's part of the point. It's like, it's not clean. It, it is kind of chaotic. It's... Sometimes it's
0: very scratchy. Um, yeah. What's really interesting to me about some is... The panel is...
1: borders are purposefully drawn with extra lines and overlapping, and, and they're not clean and neat. They're on an angle. Um, and sometimes it's just like he freehand took a, took a brush and went boop, 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 and didn't even care about what it actually was Yeah, eyes to closed. Look like. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um... And um, I always like with Sinkevich, He's got a really good sense of something that I feel like in today's comics with digital art and artists uh, taking a lot of time on each issue they draw. Every panel looks like I guess it's almost like a video game, right? Uh, everything mm-hmm. is in focus. You can see in the distance. You're in, you're in like a, a concrete, believable space. But Sienkiewicz does this thing where he draws, like, in silhouettes a lot of time, and backgrounds will just be these abstract, colorful blobs that, like, suggest emotion or uh, or movement or whatever. Like, he just has, like, these blobs that are vibes. Sometimes mm-hmm. they look like stars. Sometimes they look like windows. Uh, he has a great panel where it's a black silhouette, and there's a bunch of white eyes in it, and it's it's great. It's very little artwork, but it's really effective. Yeah. It's like a bunch of, you know, a bunch of white triangles on a black blob, and it is so creepy. Um, Oh, yeah. But then he will have extremely detailed uh, pages with, like, photorealistic faces, or, like, these really, like, um, horrifying contorted faces that look like, uh, uh, you know, like Van Gogh, almost. Uh, And he, like, really will, like, paint them, and... But as a storyteller, he knows where to put the emphasis. Like, when mm-hmm. it's a detailed panel, it's because there's an important story beat happening in that panel. Or like a Picasso,
1: where it's very impressionistic.
0: Yeah, but um, but he uses the, like, sparse silhouette style a lot of the time, and then every couple of panels, he'll hit you with a crazy one, and that's the, the story beat on that page.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, we also got a... Talk about, uh, and again, I'm really interested as someone who's going through Hellblazer. This is a perfect question. Uh, mm-hmm. Glennis Wing does the colors here, and these this is '84, so we're not into '90s yet, but these colors are like the beginning of it, right?
1: Yeah, you you can start to see the. I guess it's it's darker. It's more trying to be slightly less. Bam! Pow! Use as bright a color as possible. Uh, on it, but they're still using like these, the nice solid colored backgrounds. I love, I love a good pink in yeah, comics and they're never used nowadays. Like the really weird offset pinks.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, I that, love that, those. That 90s pink, the, and the pink-blue-yellow thing that they're always doing. Yeah. And I the 80s, 90s thing, the signature thing to me is when you see, there's like a really detailed panel of people, but the people are not colored. Like, their skin and their clothes and their hair are all the same color, like they're bathed in a dark blue light or something.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's like such a 90s thing. It's, so... Uh, Glynis Ween's colors definitely contribute to my like big thesis on this and I also think that the, uh, the lettering in this book is incredible it's such fun sound effects and yeah. um, different fonts for different uh, accents a ton uh, of fun I but mm-hmm. I think that after the bronze age uh, that's when people uh, everyone agrees that it goes gold silver bronze and then after that it kind of breaks down right?
1: Yeah, because we have the modern age, but that does, you know, I think we've entered a new, everyone's fighting over what to call the current age, but it's kind of, yeah, but even, even then, like the vertigo, the, the rise of vertigo, it's called
0: the modern age, but people still fight over whether or not that's accurate. I've heard it called the dark age. Because that's when you get a, a right, because you get Watchmen, you get Dark Knight Returns, you get the Rise of Vertigo, and then you start getting like violent superhero comics with pouches and everything, and mm. and that's all part of this like uh, comics aren't for kids anymore m- moments right? Mm-hmm. Um, so commonly I feel like people say that the that era begins in '85 with Alan Moore's Watchmen and Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, right? Mm-hmm. I'm here to claim, no, this is where the Vertigo style is starting, and this is really where these, like, more mature comics are happening, and they're happening in a pretty mainstream superhero comic. Huh.
1: Interesting.
0: Obviously, uh, you can't draw a line in the sand, right? A bunch of things are going to inform each other, and it's going to be a slow process. It's not all of a sudden Frank Miller invented comics. mm mm-hmm. Um. But I really think this issue reads exactly like uh, that... Uh, Alan Moore Swamp Thing, and, and Watchmen even. I think this uh, has the uh, the rhythms, the sense of scene, the panel layouts, all the stuff that those comics are lauded for, I think you can see like the prototype of it in this issue. Mm-hmm. And I think another big part of that and an unsung hero of that moment is Anne Nesenti, who edited this issue, right? Before, mm-hmm. I just, I, I guess I've never... Do you know, how familiar are you with the work of Anne Nesenti? I am more
1: familiar with the name than the work I know I know she I believe was was a long time Vertigo editor she's written a whole lot of series a uh, whole lot of issues of Daredevil Spider-Man um,
0: and, and and Daredevil she specifically was the the run after Frank Miller and she does a really cool run in her own right
1: mhm yeah and she recently did The Seeds uh,
0: yeah that was a cool comic with uh, David Aja
1: mhm
0: um and so and she also does a bunch of work with X-Men uh, creating Mojo and Longshot and characters like that
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and so she edited and also wrote some X-Men but I think Anne Nesenti is this common thread she works with Frank Miller she like you said she had time uh, over at, at Vertigo uh, and Nicenti is the, I think the the biggest player in that style of comics. And when you like know about her and her ideas and her like real grad school reading Noam Chomsky books and synthesizing them into superhero comic style, mm-hmm. I you can really see how then like I don't know a bunch of fratty bros came and turned that into a uh, dumber version of itself, and that's what '90s comics are. Mm. So I think Anne de like, the, the, the godmother of the 80s and 90s Dark Age comics. hmm And she's, she's the one who invents them. And she should get more credit. More credit. Um, anyway, I also just wanted to—I was curious to ask you of, like—so that's a lot of, like, background on, like, uh, the making of the issue, but, like— as a modern X Men writer, how did was there anything that like uh, surprised you, or were you we uh, were like, oh, that's where that's from, or something, um, in the Krakoa era?
1: Not really. The New Mutants have always been kind of a weird, weird in in relation to my knowledge of who they are and where they fit and all of that, um, because I think we've touched on, and we've talked about how you know. The, When we saw Warlock again in the. Was it Nova? Or was it. It was uh, in the Annihilation Conquest
0: story. I think it was Nova.
1: Yeah. One of those. And we. So we kind of. I kind of. No. We got this backstory, and you were like, oh, Nova. Warlock was introducing new mutants. Um, And we've got Danny here and uh, Ileana. I didn't know that uh, Lockheed was part of this for a while.
0: Uh, Yeah, Rain is there. Rain plays a pretty big role. Rain's kind of the almost the star to me of this little story. Yeah, it's real. What surprised me actually was that Rain was so timid. Yeah, that's that's really okay. Yeah, so you're seeing her in the modern era after she's like overcome a lot of this. This is her as a kid.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, And then we got. Uh, Hickman's favorites, Cannonball and Sunspot.
0: Again, and you're seeing them as, like, little teenagers, right?
1: Yeah. So, I don't know. There was, there was a lot in this issue that clearly, I'm like, I guess I need to read the issues before and after to get context for, and for some good resolution. Pr- Professor uh, Xavier uh, does not have his hover chair. He doesn't get that for era. another ten years, yeah. Yeah, but he's just up and walking around. Oh, that's right. That always uh, startles people, because every adaptation has him has him either in a hover chair or in a regular wheelchair.
0: But here yeah. he's just like do do What's up? And uh, Magneto's a good guy in this era, um, although like the issue deals with that. <laughs> kind of. This um, is like, oh Magneto. I guess he's here. Right. I, well, yeah. I guess you're right. This is uh, the surrounding issues would give you some context for that. Um, yeah, this is definitely an episode in a soap opera, even though it's like an episode and something, there's a a story within it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, This is a, something, something big's coming, but for now, we're just going to have this slumber party go horribly awry, because nothing good can happen (laughs) in an X-Men comic. It's not
0: allowed. Nothing
1: can go to as planned.
0: Yeah, that's a, if you, whatever you're, the X-Men version of everything is when like a disaster and a supervillain shows up.
1: Yeah. I think what actually surprised me the most about the issue was that at this at time, the New Mutants were being kept a secret from everyone, including the other X-Men.
0: Uh, yeah, that's... Why? That's a, a whole bunch of
1: Michigas. Uh, like, you'd think the X-Men would know that there are people currently living at the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters. Also, Doug Ramsey didn't know he was a mutant. Many questions. I have many questions. This is where that ha- he finds out in this issue.
0: But he was a character before this. Yeah, he was Kitty Pryde's, uh human best friend from back home. Oh. And this is was where he, he, he he's- in the first X Men movie? Was he in the first X Men movie? I mean, a lot of mutants show up for like little one offs.
1: Okay, so it it wasn't the the no. I'm sorry. That's Rogue. Rogue kissed someone and and almost killed him.
0: Yeah, Rogue Kisses is someone that almost kills them. That's what it was. (laughs) Played by Anna Paquin, which was pretty fun casting. Mm, How did I get them mixed up? God. And what you're saying, I think, really illustrates it, is that the New Mutants, um, despite being a pretty big presence in the X-Men comics themselves, uh, they weren't big in the 90s comics. They weren't big on the 90s... Uh, TV cartoon. Uh, they weren't big in the Fox movies. They didn't really have a, as big an action figure presence. So, like, unless you read these 80s comics, the New Mutants are probably pretty unknown to you. Mm-hmm. They just, like, haven't had a lot of cross-media appearances. They did have that one movie that was the last movie that Fox made before Disney purchased them and then dumped it on a streaming service that it was bad and nobody ever watched. But nobody ever watched that. No one ever watched it, yeah. But, yeah, I want to get into... um the specifics of the issue so how about we take a quick commercial break and then we will uh make our way through slumber party hello podcast listeners we're the hosts of the dc3
1: cast i'm zach i'm vince
0: and i'm brian
1: each week we discuss most of the new releases from dc comics focusing mainly on rebirth Wildstorm, and young animal we also look at the news of the week, discuss the film and television adaptations of DC material, and dig into industry rumors. We've also had a number of DC creators on our show, like Scott Snyder, Jim Lee, Christopher Priest, Steve Orlando, and Joshua Williamson. So, if you like
0: Borat jokes, My no no wife! Bad Dendidio impressions, This is bad, what the f***? And an in-depth look at DC each week. Join us every Wednesday morning at MultiversityComics.com,
1: Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Come get juergens with us welcome back uh we are talking about new mutants slumber party number 21 i got the order of all of that wrong but that's okay because uh on the cover that is not how it goes it's 21 the new mutants slumber party bam. also it's a dollar it's only a dollar it was only a dollar and they wrote it as uh in like the warlock style. I just find that really cool.
0: Right. This is when uh, in the era when Marvel had those awesome little. What do you call the boxes on the top left? There's a name for those. Uh, there is a name.
1: I call them like an eye catch, which is sure the, the name of the the thing that plays in right before and after commercial breaks for TV shows. Um, but I don't know.
0: Well, <laughs> I don't I know li- what the name of it. <laughs> I, lo- I just love how they look. They got the little comics code seal on them, which obviously represents something negative, but um, I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of like kitschy to me looking back. And then they got the date and the price in a little box, but like you said, they wrote this one in a fun font, and then usually they have a picture of the main character of the comic you're about to buy, so it'll be Spider-Man or the Hulk or whatever, but what's mm-hmm. cool about this one is uh, it's Warlock, but he gets introduced in this issue, so the first time anyone ever saw Warlock was when he was telling you this issue was only a dollar. <laughs> it's only one dollar come on buy and it he, and he's like uh, by being near the Marvel logo he's like corrupting it into the Warlock uh, logo so it's already like doing some storytelling heavy lifting by like implying what Warlock is going to do here yeah and he's kind of falling into frame yeah and, yeah and he and he looks amazing right because Sinkevich Warlock is the best one I, like it goes Superman the Thing and then Warlock right That in terms of comic design
1: mm-hmm
0: He's just like he's iconic. He's so good.
1: Yeah, he he really is. Uh, I wanted to talk about on the cover because I like this cover; it's very cool. But I didn't want to talk about the cover itself. But I did want to talk about how the font for Slumber Party is like the chiller font. <laughs> it is the spookiest thing that I've seen. I'm like, but not that much scary actually happens in this issue. I I know it's supposed to be like, horror-themed.
0: Yeah, it's like, I a, think there's a
1: lot of New Mutants. It looks but... like Fear Street to me. Oh, yeah. That is that is
0: closer. The Fear Street yeah. font. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of... what's well, like, spooky-themed. This would have been a cool Stranger Things whatever, like, tie-in, a crossover. Mm-hmm. It, it has that vibe. And what's cool is it's authentically, uh... Like... Of the time when Stranger Things took place, I guess this is what they're supposed to be reading on that show. Although they all have the Dark Phoenix issues, which, like, great get kids. Glad your older brothers gave that to you or whatever. You're too young. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was keeping, as I went through this issue, a pop culture roundup of all the fun pop culture references we were making.
1: Let's go. I'm, re- Are, I'm ready to hear them all.
0: All right, so first, uh, Tom Selleck. They just talk about how Tom Selleck is the hottest. Um, Elias, <laughs> do you know who Tom Selleck is?
1: Oh, the name is so familiar, but I could not tell you what it is, who he uh, is, what it
0: is. Um <laughs> Oh boy. He, he uh he's got a mustache. Can you picture the Tom Selleck mustache? Yes. He was a Magnum P. I and in New Mutants there is a running joke that um uh Birdo's uh Sunspot's favorite TV show is Magnum P.I. and they talk about it all the time and all the girls think that Tom Selleck is just so dreamy. Mm-hmm also dreamy michael jackson who they talk about in this issue
1: yeah isn't that in that big splash where they just show a bunch of pop artists and everyone's like so dreamy yada 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 giggle oh that's where tom Selleck is
0: yeah oh oh yeah with the mustache there is that john travolta Oh my god, yeah, and John Travolta, and I think the third one, oh my god, is is uh, Kiefer Sutherland in Lost Boys? Uh. Is that the right year? I don't know, that's what he looks like to me. But uh, Tom Selleck gets called out, and I also, just, I love this panel, right, with um, everybody, mm-hmm. it's just like a group shot of everybody's head, and then they're covered by the celebrities that they're, like, dreaming about. Mm-hmm. Um, and the celebrity likenesses are so funny. And also just, like, Who would have the balls to put that in a comic today, right? Um, Uh, no one. (laughs) Right, no one would want to date themselves and be like, oh my god, it's going to be so embarrassing if we talk about, like, whoever the hot actor is of today. Yeah. I don't know, is it it Timothy Chalamet? Um...
1: He must be one of them.
0: Yeah, just like, um, someone being self-conscious about dropping a Timothy Chalamet reference. Mm -hmm. But not Claremont in the 80s, he... He went for it. Um, There is a sequence later where um, uh, Roberto and Sam argue about um, baseball, and I found this extremely peculiar. Apparently, uh, Sam, who is from Kentucky, is a Mm -hmm. Yankees fan, and the Mets are having a a stronger season. Um, I think we're in the the era of the Miracle Mets. If uh, editor-in-chief Brian was here, he'd yell at me for not remembering the year, but it's around this time. I think eighty six. I think eighty six. But like, it's a good team right now, and so it just it reads very funny to me that um, that Sam mm-hmm. is talking, who again is from Kentucky, is just like, yeah, my all my dad and my, all my uncles love the Yankees and Mickey Mantle and uh, and they're talking and they're, and he's talking like classic Yankees doesn't make yeah. any sense to me. And then he's just like, obviously the Met, uh, the Mets are the better team, bro. That is just like the reads the craziest thing in twenty twenty one. I mean.
1: 2022. I mean, you say that, but I feel like the Mets have always kind of been, you read that, and you're like, really? You sure about that? <laughs> um, uh, but yes, it was 86. I looked it up.
0: Thank you. Yeah, 86 sounds uh, right. Well,
1: uh, the the Miracle Mets, 69 was the first one.
0: Oh, I remember my dad talking about the Miracle Mets of 86 a lot as a kid, so that, that's Probably. my association. Yeah. Um, Anyway, then there's a part later where Sam talks about being really into sci-fi. Did is this something you knew about Sam? No, I didn't. And I got it's it's both like funny and dated that uh, Sam's uh, the author that he name drops is um, Robert Heinlein.
1: Yeah, 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 um, yeah. and door into shadow.
0: Yeah, do to shout out. But what I like about it is clearly Claremont is likes uh, that sort of sci-fi, and he just like gave that as, as one of Sam's traits.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's very specific, and it makes him It's like a very likable, believable, relatable character trait.
1: It is. That's nice. it, it. It makes him
0: feel more like a person,
1: uh, and and the whole situation. It feels more like, you know. This is just the world they live in, instead of everything being this big, you know, everything falling apart all the time type deal.
0: Yeah, making it take place in, like, the Marvel world, which is supposed to be our world in a way. Mm-hmm. The world uh, outside your window. Uh, last two, last two, uh, there's a, a reference to the comic Elfquest. <laughs> which uh, was,
1: cr- I found that really, weird. I'm like, wait,
0: Elfquest? The comic? Yeah, how long? It was- like How a, long has it been? Uh, I mean, when did ElfQuest start? But uh, a long time. But That's, yeah, it's a long, long-running one. Seventy-eight. Wow. Started. It started. And Marvel original, uh, not originally, but Marvel published it uh, right after this time. And then DC and now Dark Horse has it. Um. Yeah, I figured yeah. as a com as a comics fan, you caught the ElfQuest reference. I did. I did catch that one. But but that's cool. That's like a cult comic, right? That's like a, a comic guy uh, calling out other cool comics, kind like of, yeah. ha- like Especially how in, in the, like uh that part of Wicked and Divine where you see a flashback and uh, Cameron is reading Shudder. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: yeah. A- and then the last one is a really obvious reference because it's something that often gets referenced. But I just want to point out that they reference Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and that just came out. No way. What year did Close Encounters come out? I think it was 84. Uh,
1: 77.
0: All right. It just came out a couple years ago. Okay, A couple years ago. This is taking place in 84. All right. This came out almost 10 years ago. But, um. <laughs> okay. You got. Me. I was
1: like, no way.
0: But just like, um, that it would have been, like a, like, a fresh reference. It's not, like, a... It's, it's not the, the bedrock that it is now.
1: Kurt, yeah. Yeah. And the and I guess how many people
0: have seen it because how often does it come back to theaters? Right, right, exactly. Yeah, so just all, all sorts of crazy pop culture references, but I love Claremont pop culture references. Um, I'm guessing he does it a lot. He does it a lot, and also what's fun is a lot of the times he'll... Like, so he obviously went to see Alien when it was out in theaters, immediately came home and on his typewriter wrote The Brood, and then that was where that came from. And when the X-Men encountered The Brood, they are like, oh, it's just like in that movie, Alien. So he calls out that he's ripping them off, and then he just, like, proceeds and does an X-Men fights the Alien thing. (laughs) But it's legally distinct. Right, but and not no shade. That's like his guiding star, and it's cool. Just every so often, he will just be like, "What if the X Men did this movie? What if the X Men did um, uh, Student Peel?"
1: Hmm. Yeah, but he has enough. He has enough of a uh, a good the good writer in him that he'd be like, "Okay, I'm gonna take this idea and transform it instead of just going, here's a xenomorph, have fun.' It's just kind of like you're looking at it in a funhouse mirror."
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, and you know, and he makes up his own mythology, like he would have done it. He just puts on his own fanfic, and that's a great vibe. I love it. Um, <laughs> this issue is a, like a little bit more original feeling to me and specific. It um, it starts off with that spooky vibe, like you were seeing on the cover, right?
1: Yeah, it's a whole bunch of people walking up. They're all saying kind of like either nasty things. Like you're just getting snippets of conversation, and people are, you know. They're talking about the the kids at Professor Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters. They know nothing about its reputation other than, you know, fancy private school going to slag them off a little bit. Uh, but I really uh, like how it's kind of creepy. But you're reading this this talk and you're like, I could see myself just kind of walking through the woods with a bunch of my my friends to hear. And it's scary, but I'm having this like uh i don't even know what small talk uh to, to you know both keep every keep the scary away but also to just kind of like that's what you're doing with your friends as you walk
0: it's more uh, grumbly than menacing yes yes some uh, fantastic sound effects on this page the, oh my god the knocks the, yeah the white panel with the uh, silhouette knock 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 mm mm-hmm. mhm It's just, like, immediately, like, uh, if I, you know, in 84, this would have been flabbergasting.
1: Yeah, and then the creak kind of growing and shrinking.
0: And it's that disgusting hot pink that we love so much.
1: I love that hot pink. It's so good. And It's so good. Right,
0: every Vertigo uh, comic started with a page like this, right? Creepy silhouettes walking through a dark place, knock on a door, creak as it opens, face half showing through the crack. Yep, and then you
1: turn the page, and double page spread of just fun because you've you have arrived at the party with these other people you didn't know what it was and now your world has expanded. there are all these faces that you know are talking and and things are happening. It's just surprisingly like this page th- there are a lot of splash pages that go on in modern comics like splash pages are or are, are two page spreads they're often, overused if there's something like this where it's one (laughs) image but this feels like it needed to be this one big image but then it also tells like four or five different stories within it
0: Right, it's like this huge tableau, and um, it's this snapshot of a moment at the, at the slumber party. There's a pillow fight happening, somebody's spilling popcorn, some girls are reading magazines and gossiping, and in the middle of it all is uh, Rain Sinclair, and she's got this like aura of loneliness around her, a bubble that no one can permeate as she like hunches over herself and just like uh, thinks sad thoughts in a uh, thought balloon, which is uh, out of practice in modern comics, but really effective on this page. Oh
1: yeah, that's really good. I think in a, in a modern comic, it would have been just like a, a thought caption awkwardly floating there. But it really works. As it's, a it's better as a balloon. Here. Oh, it's so much better. Especially because it, it kind of punctuates the page. She's like, this is not the place for me. And then it opens up into even more wildness on the second half of the page.
0: Um, now, did you notice that? So the. Uh, the first thing you see is someone shouting "more food," but then the second thi- uh, the second speech bubble you see it.
1: Yeah, it's "Hi guys, I'm Wheezy, Welcome to
0: the party," and it's the you know who Weezy is. In... I don't know who
1: Weezy is.
0: Uh, well, uh, I she's not editing this issue or writing this issue, but this is when um, Louise Simonson, also called Wheezy, is uh, starting <sighs> with these books.
1: That would do it
0: so this is just like when stan uh stanley and jack kirby like uh, just write themselves into comics all the time mm-hmm. people are, they're still doing it and i think the implication here is that uh wheezy is um is just like a bad babysitter <laughs> she's just like hey guys i'm supposed to be watching the new mutants but i don't care
1: <laughs> i'm supposed to be editing this but Anne is here
0: Right, and, and then and then and then Andis-Santi also is and uh, they're, they're just like uh they're so you're like who's supposed to be supervising the kids? Wheezy and Andesetti are babysitters and they're reading magazines. <laughs> and they're like and I guess
1: would that make Charles Xavier Joe Shooter in this situation? Who's just completely absent the whole
0: time? No, I think it's implying that in the Marvel universe, Charles Xavier hires Wheezy and Anne as babysitters and they just like live in town. Oh, uh... That's like the their 616 equivalents. That's what they used to like to do in this era, and I find that charming.
1: It is very charming. She's even reading People magazine.
0: Yeah. That's great. Um, then we see um, Danny is in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. So this is right after the first Sinkevich story. I th- Yeah, Demon Bear was his his intro to New Mutants, I think. And that was a couple issues before this. Oh, Okay. Um, you're familiar with Demon Bear by reputation, I assume. By reputation, yeah, if not by events. Yeah. Um. And, um.
1: Sorry, I was, I was starting to fall.
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, then you would end up like, hopefully you wouldn't end up like Danny in a wheelchair. Um, yeah. and we're also getting introduced to Ilyana. So I gotta tell you, I'm an Iliana girl. Ilyana's my favorite of the New Mutants. Uh-huh. Um, I love every version and every era of Ilyana. She There's, like, a lot of different moments in her, uh, vastly changing characterization. But I think Rain steals the show in this issue. Oh, 100%.
1: She's the best. She's the best. I, I, I um... Uh... God, my brain is working at, like, 5% today with
0: words. Um... You go. I will find the words in the ether eventually. The other strange thing in this issue is that they're having a sleepover with some local girls who, like, live in Westchester with them. Mm. Yes. Um, And it's just, like, non-mutant civilian girls are are coming over for the slumber party. And everyone's terrified that, one, something will happen
1: and they'll find out that, you know, they've got powers and they're mutants. And I think they are afraid of what will happen, but they're more afraid of what Charles Xavier will say <laughs> if something happens. Because <laughs> they're supposed to be, like, keeping this a secret. And this is this is perfect setup because every time you've got a bunch of teens or college students, the house is empty— the the parents are away. You gotta have a party, and
0: that's what this is. Um, right, and uh, and that's the part that feels so like relatable, where um, every stupid little kid thing they're doing feels like perfectly immature.
1: Mm-hmm. Just yeah.
0: to, to give you some of the context you're asking for earlier, um. Uh, Claremont comes on to X Men with issue number ninety four. Number two hundred is an issue called Trial of Magneto. So he's been writing it for a little over a hundred issues at this point. Mm-hmm. And Trial of Magneto is when uh, Magneto is literally put on trial for his crimes, and he uh, defends himself, and more or less is acquitted. and And Charles asks him to be the new headmaster at the school. Yeah. And then he goes off on his own, walking upright on two legs, adventures. Interesting. Um, but he, but so Magneto is the professor who they are actually more worried about getting in trouble with is professor Magneto. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, they have more of, a, although they know Charles, they have more of a relationship with Magneto at this point. Uh, anyway, then we're introduced to another character who you, uh, were kind of surprised to find in this issue. And that is Lockheed. Yeah. Uh, dragon, dragon mutant
1: did not expect to see lockheed here thought i thought lockheed was a very it was a an excalibur character um hanging around with with uh kitty
0: in this era is she shadow cat yet i believe she is yeah i believe she is that's cuz she conspicuously isn't on the new mutants even though she's the same age as them yeah they're all like 13 to 16 yeah and so
1: lockheed will be lockheed lockheed is another one of the silent observers hiding in the rafters. I love Lockheed. Lockheed's a lot of fun, just kind of like being there.
0: Yeah, what Lockheed really brings to this issue is just this awesome sense that's really present in the the X-Men comics now of like being associated with the X-Men means like a life of crazy, impossible, boundless adventure, right? And if you go over for a slumber party, watch out for the dragon who's like nesting in the attic. Yeah, exactly.
1: Okay, so... We got Lockheed hiding, Iliana, I'll i be honest, I had trouble identifying who is who because there are so many just mundane faces that I have not gotten used to. So I know all of... The, I, 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 I can pick out most of the new mutants. Uh, and it helps that, like, Sunspot and Cannonball are kind of off on their own, doing their own thing. Rain has is very clearly set aside um in her looks uh Danny comes bursting in making a very obvious entrance but all the like the other girls I, I could not I did not notice Iliana cuz I'm so used to ha- her having much shorter hair yeah. uh, and also being in in her stabby uniform
0: yeah the the bangs and the headband are supposed to be the uh... yeah uh, her char- signature characteristics.
1: Yeah. So I, I couldn't really—I had trouble identifying who was supposed to be a new mutant and who was just some random—one of the random girls, and then I couldn't tell the random uh, students apart from each other. I'm like, yeah. who are they?
0: I guess it doesn't really matter. Yeah, that makes it a little tough. But um, that's when the party gets interrupted— or rather, we cut away from the party up to outer space, of course. Outer space, um, where a meteor is like falling towards Earth. Did they call it a meteor? What do they call it?
1: Yeah, he called. Uh, no, uh, they call it a
0: unique asteroid. Yeah,
1: I was gonna say. I think it's just a, a celestial object. No, uh, I. The unique asteroid is Magneto's ship, uh, and then something crashes into it. Um, and he tries to use his awesome ability to try and deflect the intruder. That's Claremont uh, but he fails miserably, <laughs> and it goes kabloom. Uh, and Warlock is then shown falling from the next through the next
0: panel. And this is like your first look at Warlock, and just like holy cow, right?
1: Yeah. And what's really fun is that Claremont instantly tries to identify us with Warlock. So that when the inevitable battle happens between everyone, we're not going, yeah, get Warlock. You're like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait.
0: Yeah, he's and he's immediately likable. He's drawn like um, he looks like that part in Star Wars Episode Four when they have the '70s computer outline of the Death Star, and it's all these like <laughs> weird little geometric lines and shapes of the weird texture of the Death Star drawn over I, like a void. I Warlock was say, is it's
1: like the the monolith from 2001 fell into a bunch of circuits.
0: Yeah, it's just like what a great design, and he's always shifting. He's drawn different. He doesn't. He's not drawn consistently because it's always moving, and he's rearranging himself.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so he's crashing. Then we cut back to the party with the the aforementioned. Everyone's talking. Here are a bunch of uh, celebrity crushes, celebrity cameos, and I didn't notice this the first time, but I really like how this is some great sequential storytelling. Everyone. All of the the New Mutants and the other the people are are talking on one side, and then you've got the the cloud with the faces, and then on the other there's just rain looking sad with sad lines coming out of her face, and there's just this this balloon with a very small sigh in the middle of it.
0: She's too sad to talk about boys. It's embarrassing. No,
1: but she's even though there are people clearly talking at her who are like. It seems like they might want to draw her into the conversation. She feels so alienated that there's this huge gulf between everyone.
0: Yeah. Good shit. Good shit. Yeah, and that's what I'm talking about. That's the fantastic uh, storytelling happening here.
1: Yeah. And then we get Um, uh, Manel. I don't know who this guy is. Trying to do Michael Jackson and looking like a complete fool with his ass hanging out of his pajamas. Yeah, I don't
0: know who... I don't remember who Manola is either, but um but he, he was probably just some kid from from the high school. But then um there's a bunch of Magma gets like a lot to do in this issue. Who? Um Magma who's here from Nova Roma. Who who is that? She is the blonde one who is wearing the like fancy toga. Mm hmm. Um she is the newest member of the New Mutants before this issue. She just joined them. Uh, on their oh, last I, okay. I know Nova Roma now. Yeah. And now, you know, Novaroma. the answer, the, the truth is Nova, Nova Roma is lame. That stuff is never cool. And, um, <laughs> it's unfortunate that magma is most often kind of a drag. Oh, that's a shame. Um, that's a shame. but I thought it was pretty fun here when, because she's like this girl from an ancient Roman empire that never modernized deep in the jungle, that's mm-hmm. her deal. Um, It's fun on the next page when everyone's checking out her like silks and her jewelry and stuff because uh, she's got all this fancy stuff from the magical kingdom that she's from.
1: Yeah. And Rain is still feeling sad, and so everyone decides conspiratorially to give her a makeover, but they scare her so badly she starts to transform.
0: And come on, that's the greatest X-Men shit ever, right? The conflict is a bunch of girls want to give the shy girl a makeover at the slumber party, so she turns into a fucking werewolf
1: and then she's like oh I didn't mean to do that oh
0: no yeah, and and I love these pages with all of the uh, psychic stuff happening and the um the weird Cause... like uh, circles <laughs> over everybody's face and lips and stuff yeah there's a lot happening all at once and that bottom panel of Ilyana busting out the lipstick conspiratorially is just like yes this is my that that face there is my favorite Ilyana just like her as this like bitch teen she's so great <laughs>
1: She likes um, the
0: chaos. What I would have given for Anya Taylor-Joy to play Ileana in a good movie. Oh. Uh, I had so high good. hopes for that movie. She was I the I was vich. looking
1: forward to it.
0: Hm? Um, She was the vich. The starring vich of the vich.
1: Yeah, but I was looking forward to the new mutants.
0: Yeah, I was too. Maybe I should watch it and not be a hater and make, come, draw my own conclusions.
1: I mean, I'm sure it's just kind of
0: meh. Uh, yeah, I have not... Uh, people I trust have told me uninspiring things um anyway then we check in and have that aforementioned baseball and sci-fi conversation with uh cannonball and sunspot and um so these are guys who i feel like you're pretty familiar with from modern comics but now you're seeing them in their original elements right yeah and they're kind
1: of just palling around walking uh and then we get we get a nice we get the kind of the kind of conversation the way things things go you know they're you're goofing you're talking and then like it gets serious and yeah. the seriousness is like accepted it's not quipped away which is very nice but then it you know you move something happens it changes they go to the door uh and then what's who is uh papa bu- 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 oh, it is sam okay i was like what's cannonball's <laughs> Name he, Sam.
0: Uh, Cannonball's got like a pretty weird face, right? So Kevin draws yeah. Sam as like um he looks like kind of I don't want to say unattractive, but he's like gangly, right? He like he's like weirdly misproportioned.
1: Yeah, he's kind of gangly. He reminds me of his face gives off kind of uh, an Edward Norton feel. Okay, um, I can see li- that a little bit. Now, it actually, he looks like a like a Naruki or Asawa character, um, one of his go-to faces, um, I, I, in the, in some of these panels. I,
0: yeah, I can see a panel specifically that reminds me of that. But I I yeah. like um this is another thing I love about Sienkiewicz's art is that people have distinct faces and he like draws uh, draws them, uh, very much looking like. Uh, characters and not like uh, some artists can only do the same face or some artists can only draw in, like actor likenesses and Sienkiewicz's mm-hmm. faces feel really true to the, the core of the character and I feel like everybody drawing these characters tries to draw the Sienkiewicz faces if they're yeah. trying at all
1: Yeah, even if they don't look like you're like this face definitely looks different panel to panel you can still tell it's the same person There's like, there's like there are those through lines
0: well, a lot of people will draw Cannonball now as, like, a square-jawed, heroic-looking blonde guy. Mm. But, like, he's not. He's this gangly-looking weirdo. Yeah, exactly.
1: I, I really like this, this page where he opens the door and he basically insults Rain to her face and Rain is like, oh, okay. Punches him in the gut after transforming into a werewolf. Runs away. and Or doesn't run away. But then uh, her and Ileana are kind of answering the door and they slam it and he's on the ground and it just says slam and it's like <laughs> yeah. the slam is pushing down on him good Such stuff
0: a, yeah g- good stuff great lettering and um and what a fun misunderstanding that lets you uh, like everybody where sam literally doesn't recognize uh, rain at first because he's never seen her like fancied up before and wearing nice mm-hmm. clothes and so yeah. he's kind of taken aback, and he accidentally uh, talks about how surprised he is. And just like, ah, Sam, you doofus. You were trying to you were trying to be nice, but you came off like a jerk because you're a teen boy. Yep. And, and then brain yeah. <laughs> turns into a werewolf and punches him. He gets werewolf punched. <laughs> and he gets
1: werewolf punched. And then they talk to some spirits. I don't they're know play- why they were
0: doing this. Well, they're playing I with guess the it's board. another... That's a slumber party thing.
1: Yeah, but you never mess with the Ouija board. I mean, they even lampoon this later. They're like, "We know spirits and demons are real. Why are we messing with this?"
0: Well, that's my read on this. Was that Ilyana is like, uh, "Like, let's play with demons," and then later everyone is like, "Wait, demons are real," and Ilyana's like, "Yep." because Ilyana is the one who uh, is focused on for the whole um, seance scene.
1: Oh, that's like she, true
0: she's leading it so i think this was her idea she's like let's play seance and everyone's like yeah ouija board and they're like wait aren't you like a real demon sorceress and iliana's the like, wink yep. and she's also wearing a uh, lockheed on her head and the other the human girls think it's like a funny stuffed animal <laughs> a, same hat yeah but very uh very another like menacing Ilyana is a demon child thing that i love
1: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. sam sam's expression holy cats
0: classic <laughs> yeah i don't Let know if that's 80s swear no way i love uh i love cheesy 80s fake swearing
1: yeah and then we get this gorgeous page of sam diving underwater to to pull up what we know is warlock but he doesn't out of the water i really like the way the action flows on this page
0: it's yeah because he's jumping such good on the... stuff in the top panel he's jumping from left to right and then it makes like a perfect crescent as he dives into the water and goes right to left and then the last panel is cutting in, is changing the camera angle even though Sam's going in the same direction but it now looks like he's going the other way. Yeah. So it, it, and um and the word balloons follow the flow of that so you get ping pong like a, like Pong from left to right to left. I wish
1: more modern comics had this kind of good flow i mean a lot of them do but like you you read this page and it's like it's effortless and sometimes you'll be reading a page and you're like i have no idea how i'm supposed to read this or you'll read and you'll be like oh i was supposed to go this way
0: well but there's still, nothing indicated the the motion doesn't stay within the panel so the splash of him getting into the water in the first panel uh then translates into the ripples as he's going under yeah. and there's uh there's two different images of the 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 rock that he's trying to take out of the water and in one of them um it looks like it's falling on him in the panel below and that you understand that's not literal but so it takes on like the symbolic weight of you understand how heavy this is and like it's weighing on him Mm -hmm. like it, it increases it subtly increases your feeling of danger yeah um yeah totally well spotted um, and then the next page is like one of those lower key ones with a lot of silhouettes. Sunspot's powers lend themselves to him being silhouettes. Also, Sunspot and Cannonball are totally just skinny dipping together. And, um, I'm sure they're just like guy pals doing guy things or whatever.
1: Well, no, only one of them skinny dipped. The other, the other one was like, I don't want to get in. It's too cold.
0: <laughs> right. So he just stripped to his underwear and sat on the shore watching his skinny dipping friend. He likes oh, to watch. Yeah. No, he he didn't strip down at first.
1: He stripped down only afterwards. Uh, you can when... see him in full clothing, sitting in the tree. He's still wearing his jeans because they're blue. Oh, you're
0: right. He's still wearing his jeans, but then two pages later, he's in his undies.
1: Yeah, I don't. So... I guess maybe he took it off to dive in after him.
0: <laughs> I think so, but just like all the same, I, something about this uh, seems uh, subtextual, Mister Claremont. And then
1: Warlock wakes up, and it is kind of terrifying, but also really cool.
0: Well, his, like, screaming mouth and the way his word balloons are, like, uh, squiggling all around. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it looks like someone being tortured. It's great. I love it. Yeah, and of course, yeah, I, I can sing about the good Warlock design. And then we uh, learn about Warlock's powers a little bit. And... <laughs> The, these are the kinds of interactions
1: that, that are a lot of fun. He He's like, all right, what am I doing? Okay, here's the thing that I need. It's power, and we know what it is. It's just an electrical outlet. He's like, what is this thing? And he connects to it, and he's like, oh, that's way too much power because he didn't
0: realize that it was a, a circuit.
1: And he only connected to one
0: end. Yeah, Let's and the him getting zapped is a, another uh, great panel, great word, uh, sound effect.
1: Yeah. They shut uh, off all the lights, and that's how you know the demons are there,
0: right. They were playing with the the creepy spirit board, and then all the lights went off, and then they saw see this outer space creature who's totally freaky, of course, uh of course they're gonna get scared.
1: well, this is before they see um warlock they' at first uh you know they conjure a fake demon uh, and rain sees right through it. she's like, Danny, you're doing this, Danny's like shh, shh don't tell anyone.
0: Yeah, which is super cute. Just like uh, I more, more people using their powers like casually in their lives to do cute stuff, please.
1: Yeah, and then we find uh, then we actually then yeah we find out more about Warlock's powers, which are uh, infecting things with a genetic techno virus that converts it into tech, and then he absorbs the light from it. I mean, they call it the life glow.
0: Yeah, um, we have encountered this in um, when we met Warlock in Annihilation Conquest, and um, this is a pretty big part of the Krakoa era, is uh, the techno-organic virus, but this is its first appearance.
1: I didn't know that. That's cool. It's such a clever way of introducing it, but it's very low-key. It's like, here's the thing. They don't make a big deal of it, but you know it's important.
0: Well, I don't. I don't think they knew it was important. I don't get that impression. I feel like they thought it was a cool ability that warlocks people might have. Well, it's then, important to
1: war. I meant for like this issue. It's important yeah, it's very, to warlock and.
0: But it it becomes like a such a huge component of like the mythos of X Men. But um, now mm. it's just like a cool power. It's a superpower of this new cool character.
1: Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of fighting, a lot of back and forth.
0: I specifically like they explain Ilyana's powers, her stepping disks. Um, and her sorcery, and she summons her soul sword, but then she, I love, uh, she summons a real demon from Limbo. Yeah, and then the demon kind of just gets taken out like a chump. (laughs) Yeah, and the demon gets, but, um, but just, like, holy crap, I love, and Ilyana's pajamas turn into armor, and just, she's so cool. She's, like, the, Ilyana is probably the coolest X-Man who's never been, and, like, the one who's appeared in the most issues, who's never been in, like, a major popular multimedia thing.
1: Huh.
0: Yeah, I guess that's true. She's gonna be in the new video game in that uh Midnight Suns game.
1: I guess we'll see if it's any good.
0: Yeah, I'm optimistic. Um anyway, love to see Ilyana winning. Um I
1: don't have much to say about most of the most of the fight. It's just it's good fight. Oh, it, it's,
0: it's a great fight and uh, a thing I always complain about with modern comics and superhero comics specifically is um, a lot of like uh, Bendis will put an action beat in because he feels obligated to but this action beat has so much personality and everyone is trying different things and it backfires and there's cause and effect it's just like a, it's such a well the scene is written to be a bunch of interesting visuals which tell a great story yeah 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 where do you want to ju-
1: uh, jump back in? Because then, um, I was Bobby- gonna say I think jumping back in when Warlock first encounters Danny after she tried to wander over and kind of kind of fell on her ass because she probably shouldn't be standing yet.
0: Right, right, because she's still so injured from Demon Bear.
1: Yeah, uh, and she she kind of pings into his mind, brings up a fo- uh, an image of his father, uh, and freaks him out, and he he goes f- fleeing. That's it's just such good stuff. So so much just here, hand, handing it to us on a platter. I mean, like, did did you want more fun? Enjoy, have more daddy issues.
0: In terms of uh, setting up the inevitable, uh, well, in terms of setting of... up
1: the inevitable conclusion, but also you know, these characters seem to have a lot of. Most characters in superhero comics have a lot of baggage.
0: Right, X Men especially. Oh yeah. Um, I do want to just briefly call attention to um, Magma uses her full powers at one point, and um, really cool look. Bill Kevich draws an awesome Magma. She's yellow, just covered in red Jackson Pollock squiggles. Yeah. Dad's um, so Magma. Yeah. Okay. I
1: was running. I didn't even blink. I'm like, oh, there's another new mutant. <laughs> didn't even connect the two when you were talking about it earlier.
0: Um, I also love uh, Wolfbane her half human, half werewolf form, and then her like fully turned into a wolf form are, mm-hmm. uh, she drifts between them in a really interesting rhythm, and they're drawn very distinctly, like if I saw Wolfbane's wolf form it shouldn't look like just like a dog
1: yeah it's, it's and like you can identify it, wolf- one, cause you know, who's the only wolf there but also the the little flower in her hair
0: yeah but I also love the uh, the red, spiky hair that shoots out of the back of her head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> There's, Sam flies by, mostly naked. They comment on how he's got a cute butt.
0: Yeah, and uh, I like... Uh, it, um, I don't want to like claim that this fixes sexism or anything, but uh, I like that the uh, since the issue is mostly about the girls, uh, they have the most agency when the girls and the boys finally collide
1: yeah yeah the the boys don't really do all that much <laughs> they They kind of are just flying around. <laughs> they get to lift the
0: heavy rocks. That's their job. um and then I guess uh, after they chase off uh warlock, um the big thing that happens is um Doug arrives doug ramsey they call they call him in
1: specifically because they need someone to talk to Warlock. And this is the start of a long, long friendship, question mark?
0: Uh, friendship, to say the least. Uh, they are self-friends.
1: Yeah, but Self- like, I don't know wh-
0: what happens right after this. Yeah, this is the beginning. I mean, they try to, uh, Doug tries to understand Warlock and um, they reach such a deep understanding. It like transcends language and any other uh, common words I could think of to describe relationships. It's like a crazy mm-hmm. relationship. They're, they're like soulmates in an insanely deep way. Which is why it's so fun in the modern continuity that um, uh, Doug keeps on making those connections with other beings. And um, now he's got a whole menagerie of jealous partners.
1: Are we going to get in 2023 the Crisis of Infinite Doug Ramsey partners?
0: Um, Krakoa versus Warlock versus Bay the Blood Moon? I literally don't know who wins that fight.
1: (laughs) But isn't but but Warlock and, and uh Krakoa are
0: kind of one in the same now. Oh uh, well Krakoa is very infected with Warlock, but I uh I don't know. I don't know. But uh this we'll is also see. like I said, this is where Doug finds out that he's a mutant.
1: Yeah. Very understated. There's like he
0: finds out and he's like, Okay, but first we have to figure this out. <laughs> yeah, he's very uh focused on the uh the the mission at hand, the task. Mm hmm. Um but yeah, uh, Doug is going to be Cipher, and he's got the mutant power to understand any language. And so, he makes mm-hmm. this, and he makes this like deep and abiding uh, g- connection with Warlock, um, which is kind of the the note that the issue ends on. Is uh, after chasing Warlock around a bunch, um, he uh, meets Professor Xavier, who allows him to stay at the mansion.
1: Yeah, and we have this really nice moment of connection between Rain and Warlock. Because Rain's like, I see a lot of myself in him. We need to help him. Uh, and when they connect, his hand turns into a plug. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm like, of course. Of course that's the big climax of this. Is He's able to charge up with a plug. Because
0: he now <laughs> understands the concept. Right, because somebody communicated with him. Yeah. And then he had no problem at all. Um, then Iliana,
1: then Professor Xavier shows back up and is like, "What happened to my mansion?" Ileana pops up from limbo, <laughs> getting ready to like stab something.
0: Good stuff. Uh, Ileana is my favorite. Um, so not that I'm trying to give you homework or more comics, but just like as a matter of like fun, um, would you want to read more? Was this a good entry point to New Mutants?
1: Yeah. I think this is a a good intro to what makes the new mutants fun and why you might want to read more about them. It's one of those issues. It's not too bogged down in this, in the big grand soap opera stuff. It's an, it's one of the downbeats. It's kind of starting, you're introducing a new character. uh, And I think it helped that I knew some of these characters beforehand I think mm-hmm. you went in cold, cold. You didn't know anyone. You could pick up on who the main characters were, but I think you would be a lot more lost than I was.
0: Yeah, Demon Bear might uh, ultimately be the better place to start.
1: Yeah, this is a good place if you know if you're like vaguely aware of the characters or you've read some of their modern stuff, and you're like, oh yeah, I could read that. This is a good place. Maybe not necessarily start i feel like demon bear tends to there's a reason why demon bear is where everyone's like you should read this it's why this volume is even called the demon bear saga
0: yeah yeah which is because this is just like like you said like the downbeat it's a brief story but for that that's the reason why i I kind of uh gravitate towards it i love good downbeat issues of x-men there's some of my favorite issues the one where uh they get into every time they get into a bar fight with juggernaut's my favorite issue yeah whenever whenever uh they play basketball that <laughs> wait, they play basketball with the juggernaut? No, no, not with the juggernaut. Gambit plays. Uh, there's a really funny. It, there's a sad issue with a really funny part where um, Gambit and Wolverine are like shooting hoops, and then Professor mm-hmm. Xavier comes up and he's like, "I bet I could dunk better than either of you." And they're like, "What?" And then Professor X just like gets up and runs down the court and does an amazing dunk, and then it's revealed that he's just um, creating an illusion of this, and that's how he convinced them that he did it, and he's just like pranking Gambit and Wolverine.
1: Very funny. <laughs> issue. Amazing. Just if he if he he
0: can if he can imagine it, they can believe it. I guess. Anyway, I'm glad that we got a a shorter book club book. Yeah,
1: even though the episode still lasted uh, quite a while.
0: Well, I I knew it was gonna be uh, there's a lot of of meat to get into with this uh, book, but um we. Our next time we're doing a book club uh, book, which will be two episodes from now, is going to be a loser book where we're going to be reading Ultimatum, my least favorite comic of all time, because I won the bet. No, I lost the bet.
1: You lost the bet. And then this is our punishment. So for those who did not listen to our previous episode, uh, we had our predictions from the beginning of 2021. We saw who had the most of them come correct, uh, turns out we both were pretty terrible at predicting, but I turned to be slightly less terrible. So in the end, we had to we we have to read uh, Jaina's pick, and it's gonna be Ultimatum numbers one through five.
0: God help us! God help us all. Um, in your last moments before we read this issue, Elias, um, if you had any shot thoughts that you were sharing online, where did my people find those thoughts? Uh, You could find my thoughts increasingly infrequently
1: on Twitter at Quetzelish. That's Q-U-E-T-Z-E-L-I-S-H. Be careful uh, about saying those aloud in the middle of the night in front of a mirror. You might just summon Ileana Rasputin. God, Uh, don't don't make promises like that. You can also find me writing at multiversitycomics.com. I I don't think I have anything regular other than the Webcomics Weekly for a good while now that Riverdale has finished its absolutely fucking bonkers five-episode event in December.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: So, yeah. Go read those. They were a lot of fun sometimes. (laughs) uh but where can they find you on the larger interwebs
0: uh you can find me on twitter still at rambling underscore moose that's still where i'm at i'm still rambling i'm still associated with mooses i haven't broken those bonds i also publish a multiversitycomics.com where i write a lot about the x-men i really like the x-men um unlike a lot of other queer people i guess um this (laughs) makes me unique um and you should go read about that stuff And um, next time we will be doing something fun a little bit different, and after that we will be tormenting ourselves with Ultimatum. And we hope to see you there.
1: We hope to see you there, Excelsior.